guys, welcome to Show Studio. We're going to be answering questions from some of your fans, some of your friends, some of your peers. But the first question I want to ask you is actually from me, so Lou in London. Um, you're one of the most famous men in the world and I think everyone has an opinion on you. And I really noticed that as we were preparing for this interview. Everyone kind of thinks they know you. And I've watched quite a lot of your interviews recently and you've really talked about this idea of not being heard. There's kind of an irony to that in a way as you have such a big direct reach, but I, I got the sense you really felt like you were kind of not being listened to or being misunderstood. And I'm interested to get a sense of, do you think anyone fully understands Kanye West? Or do you think you're very different to the to your public persona? But have you created that in some way? Mm, yeah, I do think there's people who understand, they see it. It's like the same people who could see, you know, could feel an earthquake coming on or, <laughs> or see a tsunami coming. And I think there's people who uh, don't want to embrace what it really is. So they use their position of like class or snobbery or whatever comments they have to just try to always down things and, and, and to not really give it its just due or it's just opportunity and it's a form of uh, discrimination. Mm. And, you know, most people don't understand who they are. So people's misunderstanding of me is a misunderstanding of themselves that they don't they don't understand it like he's not being the projected version of himself. He's not being what he was taught by current society or taught by this lifetime. He's 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 evoking something from another place and we this is unfamiliar. This is alien to us and you know, it's easier for us to shun it than to, than to really try to dig deeper and find out more about it. And it's funny that the, so many people that are supposed to be like so super educated love to like just pick the lowest hanging fruit of the concept of like fame or celebrity as a way to d diminish or take away the validation of what has been done up to this point, what's being done now, and what will be done in the future. Mm. Yeah. Talking about kind of what you've done in the past and what you want to do in the future, a question that was submitted by one of your fans, Sam Hollis, he said, what do you consider your greatest contribution to music, but also your greatest contribution to creativity? Well, I'll ask in a second one first. The greatest contribution to creativity is adding the, you know, taking away the bullying, the like people bully creative. Well, you know, I'm sure that I've like bullied my, myself sometimes, but taking away people being able to, to bully you because you're a creative, you know, we're like, we're bullied and controlled by organizations and, and money and the people with money are in power. Mm. And that's going to change after me and Kim's lifetime. It's going to go more back to when people used to philosophize and talk about portions and shape and color and what we can do for the next generations. But right now it's all about what people can do to make the most money and how they can not cut creatives in on any profit and, and use creatives you know, against themselves in a way. Like if they know that someone is a genius but not business smart, they take advantage of that. And mm -hmm. um, so me constantly fighting that on the front line, I think is the greatest thing that I've like tried to open up so that creators can be more empowered because I believe the world can be 
saved or helped in the world, meaning us as human beings, our civilization, us as a race, as one race can be helped through allowing people with motives of, uh, with more positive motives and who see more colors than just green to mm -hmm. help be at least a part of the conversation and be heard and listened to. The whole point, like not being heard, be heard and listened to. What was the first question? It was about your greatest contribution to music, but maybe you don't think like that anymore. Yeah, music, um, synthesis, just to synthesize, you know, to take uh, most deaf and bring him to the studio with Jay-Z, mm. I think is the greatest, you know, where people say, okay, that's backpack or this is gangster or like to go on tour with Quali with a Rockefeller chain and have people boo me and be like, oh, Rockefeller is not hip hop and, you know, and fight against that. And now it's just, you know, it's considered to be one art form, but uh, like what Louise Wilson would always talk about, like this juxtaposition, high, low, or these opposites and, you know, combining them and, you know, this, this combination that makes, you know, a, a, a greater, you know, a greater civilization, a, a greater, a greater human being, like the human, like the actual human being a thousand years from now, you know, generally as a race, we should be far advanced, mm -hmm. you know, like at the beginning of Prometheus, like how that guy was just like, you know, just like the <laughs> way, like, you know, he's like Mike Tyson meets Steve Jobs meets, you know, Shakespeare, blah, blah, blah just and he, as a person, you know, and we all now have, you know, because there was a time when people would work on multiple things and have, uh, you know, multiple art forms or businesses or different things that they could do. And now you're like, you're only supposed to be able to do uh, one thing. And in the future, people will be like highly skilled at yeah. a lot of things because they won't be afraid to, you know, fight for their education. Mm. Yeah. I think it makes people uncomfortable though, doesn't it? When people try and kind of get themselves out of their box, you know, people, they see you as a musician. So when you try and do fashion, it, it makes people agitated. And, and this relates to a question that came in from Nick Knight, who runs Show Studio, who you collaborate with a lot. Mm. He talks about your bravery and he said, you seem to sort of be very open to making brave decisions. And I think in some way that relates to, you know, pushing yourself into new arenas. and. He gave examples, you know, the opening of Black Skinhead with the three black KKK hoods and not putting new slaves on YouTube or appearing naked in the Black Skinhead video. And he's interested, do these decisions feel brave at the time? Do you think that you are being brave? And maybe what's the bravest thing you've ever done? I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of, really, you know, so I, I don't even want to, I, I don't even want to take, you know, too much credit for being you know, brave. I think that it's just a responsibility of ours as artists to give our truth mm -hmm. at that time. And it's just simple as that, you know, soldiers are brave. It's their responsibility to go and, you know, fight for their, their countries. Police officers are brave. It's, you know, firefighters, it's their responsibility to go into a fire. And for us as an artist, it's our responsibility to give our truth. Mm -hmm. So I just think more than courage or bravery or anything it's just i honesty yeah honesty it may and maybe and maybe the answer didn't uh, some some answers i'm going to give are not going to make complete sense so you can if you're a very literal by the book person you might you might find uh a flaw in the in the final finishing 
as opposed to understanding the gist of what I'm saying. And, you know, the other day I was, I came up with an equation that explains the way visionaries think as opposed to very calculated people. If someone asks you, what is two and three? You know, most people will say five. If you put two and three in front of me, I'm gonna say, well, two plus three is five, two times three is six, mm -hmm. two divided by three <laughs> is this, three divided by two is that, and then come up with an average of all those things. And then when you say that 5.76, blah, 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 that is the thing that people marvel at. Like, wow, that really was not what I was expecting, not what we wanted to put you in a box for, but I felt like I got something more out of it. And that is the like uh, calculation of the zeitgeist, you know, mm -hmm. because everything changes. Every, every day something changes. People get so caught up in the embarrassment of changing their mind in front of someone, yeah, you know, and, and one thing can change everything. Mm -hmm. So you have to put that as a part of your two and three. You don't have to. I put it as a part of my two and three mm -hmm. equation. Yeah. It's interesting, you, talk, you use the word visionary there, and it, a lot of our viewers, they ask questions about that term and about the term creative genius, and Sam Thompson, he asked this question where he said, you know, you've called yourself that, and you've kind of equated yourself to all these different people, you know, Da Vinci, Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, Michelangelo, and he's asked, how would you define a genius in that context, but also, why do you feel the need to call yourself that? Because otherwise, I'm called celebrity. I'm called nigger. I'm called rapper. And when they use the word celebrity, nigger, or rapper, it's not in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> and all these things, all those words can be used in an extremely positive way. What's up, my nigga? You know, but that's not the way it's used. Mm. So I have to define who I am. You know, all of my aspirations are things that currently only 60-year-old white people do. Mm. So I have to redefine and let people know exactly who I am. And, and it's not letting them know by, you know, wearing a suit or letting them know by wearing a Rolex or letting them know by, you know, bragging about how much money uh, a sponsorship made on top of a rap. It's letting them know by saying, let's start with this. I'm a creative genius. <laughs> and it's proven yeah. and I will continue to prove it. You know, when people try to take the piss out of me for clothing and this and that, you know, they never think about the fact that I never had the opportunity to be properly educated. Yeah. And if given the means to be properly educated or even given, you know, the proper support group, I would completely light the lights up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we sell, you know, shoes that people want to line up for because we put love in them. We put, we put heart in them. We want to make Christmas presents. We want to make something that people want so bad that it hurts them if they can't have it. It's it's not a it's not a just a financial opportunity there. Of course you need finances, but it's a, it's a form of discrimination and racism, mm. especially with, you know, blacks in fashion. Mm. And it literally you know, it took me being Kanye West to get this far in fashion. Mm. Meaning like I was able to become a multimillionaire and invest in myself because no one else would have in a million years. I've got this one employee that's a black guy uh, and there'll be, sometimes there'll be a piece of misinformation, you know, three, 
three weeks later, he'll tell me something. And he says it kind of like with his voice down. And I remember being with my dad and my dad was the type of dad that would be everybody's dad. A guy would come in and like want to sell some cookies. And my dad was a salesman also. <laughs> so he'd say, excuse me, I got these cookies. And he'd say, yo, sir, pick your head up and explain to me what you want to say and what you want to sell. This guy, this employee, because blacks, especially in um, America, have been raised with a slave mentality, mm. don't feel that they have the right to speak as loud as possible. And every time you hear a black speaking, a black person speaking as loud as possible, it's after somebody's gonna say, look at those niggas over there. Mm. So, if you don't want to be called a name in a derogatory way, you'd rather put it in, what's people's favorite word to use for me? Humble. But if you, if we go, go on iTunes right now, just, I mean, uh, on your iPhone right now, just go to dictionary, you look up humble, 80% of the definition is negative. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a controlling word. It's a, a way to control the masses and to control the sheep. Yeah, there's, I think there's a level of reality to being nice. Yeah. to being cordial to people. But if you have the ability to lead, you are a leader, you have the answers or you have the ability to find people with the answers and your will is to help, you should not be humble. You should speak up mm. because this world is broken. So someone needs to say something. And sometimes I just feel like I'm the only one that's not crazy. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you, it really relates to what you were just saying, and it's a question mm. that kind of came in quite a lot, mm. but it was posed particularly nicely by Arabin Sandrin, who's 25, he's from London, and he said, do you think the resistance and criticisms to your work is being partly because you are a black man, and would your ideas and work be received differently if you were a white man? No, because, well, if I was a white man that became a really successful musician, that musician, that box would have, you know, put me in a chamber that would have said that I shouldn't work. So there's a lot of, there's white people that if they're really super good at something, they also get discriminated against sure. in another field. It's not yeah. though, like you could be like a photographer and someone say you can't be an artist. Yeah. You could be uh, a designer and someone would say you can't be a musician sure. or someone say you can't be a film director. You know, so uh, there's all type of, you know, as far as like, um, the advantages in life, yeah, 100, yes, if you are born white, you have that on your gene pool currently because the world is controlled by whites, uh, you have that as a hundred, <laughs> as an advantage. On yeah. your gene, and if you add a couple of other things to it, you know, then you have a really high chance of success. Whereas, like, because the world is ran by whites currently, the uh, if you're born black, if you make it to something like the Met Ball or the Grammys or this, most likely you've done ten times the amount of everyone else there <laughs> to get there. Yeah, and you know, definitely. It's interesting. Simon Foxton, who's a stylist, I know you know his work. Mm -hmm. He asked a question which relates as well to criticism. He said your clothing line has been greeted with a lot of harsh criticism. And he's asked, do you reflect like a lot of designers do where they take that criticism and then they use it to kind of develop their aesthetic and change their work? So do you do, you do that or does it just make you even more convinced in your own belief and vision? Yeah, it's like 
I'm convinced that I know what I like and I know that I know that I just know. Mm. I know and I don't care. I don't care because anyone that is criticizing most likely you know they saw the 350s and acted like they didn't like them because they're racist and they're discriminatory but they're not only racist against black people they discriminate against celebrity mm -hmm. they discriminate against people with multiple like art forms they discriminate against this. or they could say oh wait a second you know that cut wasn't that good blah blah but they 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 do enough to throw a stab at oh, that, that didn't fall the right way or that wasn't styled the right way, but they didn't do the research on how difficult it was to one by one put together a design team and fight against the idea of celebrity mm. to get overcharged because you're a musician or, a, you know, people feel like you have money to get completely taxed by the fashion world to be. And I love it because it's like going to Harvard. That's the reason why I'm in fashion. I think it's a ultimate training because I dropped out of art school and I um, eventually I got a PhD this year, like an honorary PhD at the Art Institute of Chicago. But I dropped out of that school and I wanted to go back to the School of Hard Knocks. And right now I feel that in all honesty, and I'm sure, you know, what I, whatever the fuck I'm going to say today, I'm going to say it and I'm just going to fucking own it. And that's how I feel right now. If I feel differently in three years, I'll tell you how I feel. <laughs> uh, but right now, the highest art form is actually fashion. Interesting. And what's funny about that is people in art look down upon fashion designers but, as a whole. Yeah, you know, it's like a class. It's like the highest yeah. work or, you know, where is architecture, blah, blah. But the most energy currently is around fashion because with music it's in question if you know sometimes if a if a song is popular if that person is really a good artist or not sure. and in fashion you know for the most part if someone's really popular it's because it's agreed upon that they're an amazing artist they're amazing at what they've done and people are do the history on what their background is did they intern for christian lacroix did they work at margella for a period did they do they you know they find out what the history is and see if that person is making a connection to something that is is current is is relative that's in touch uh and and then fashion designers are superstars currently too mm -hmm. so it's just I, it feels like hip-hop felt to me in the 90s is and you know because it's like me i'm a hip-hop artist but why are you going over to the you know why are you going to the fashion world i mean it's just a really interesting art form it's simply it's you know there are like amazing it's just different it's just it's just a different it's just a different art form mm -hmm. every every business is art the way you talk to people is art. An interview can be an art. Everything is a form of art. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, the, the critics because when I see, when I see like the collection I just did and we, you know, when I use the stretch French Terry that I found in Japan uh, and I use on market canvas like heavyweight canvas and I put it in my color palette and I see 64 different tones come down together. You know, I've created like a moving expressionist painting mm. and that satisfies me.
So if someone was to go and go up to a Monet and say, this dot wasn't Louis Vuitton level. <laughs> like, what do you mean? It's all an expressionist painting. Like, by the way, you know we die in, you know, 80 years, 60 years, 50 years, you know, you know we will die, but on that day I lived. Do you think people didn't understand mm -hmm. some of it? A question that came in mm -hmm. from Natalie Woe, she said, and it goes back to what you were talking about with your dad, she said, your dad was in the Black Panthers and your, your last collection did have a very political undertone. It was very much about racism. And do you- Wait a second, is that a white person that said that? I don't know. I don't know her ethnicity. I think, I think it's racist. I think, I think it's racist when white people assume that when a black person uses color, that it's a political statement. So you were you not making a political statement? No, it was a painting. It's beautiful colors. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. You know, it's like people say, and this is a statement. That statement is not going to stop the murders in Chicago. That's not going to stop the murders. That's not going to, that statement is not going to, you know, help people get jobs. That statement is not going to take guns out of their hands in, in, in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That statement is not going to stop, you know, Zimmerman from fucking bragging about, you know. So it's such a thing. Like I had this, uh, this one fat, uh, stylist come up to me and Virgil was standing next to me and said, you need to watch out for him. He's taking your place. And I was like, oh, the one spot for the black guy at the dinner table in fashion? Mm -hmm. That place? Is that what you're talking about? So, you know, the assumption that, you know, my artistic expression of clothing is has something to do with race or politics, a more uh, politically correct term, ironically, for racism, is racist in itself. I think a lot of people would... <laughs> A lot of fashion designers do see their work as political, so maybe that's why, in a way, the fact people see your work in some way as, you know, political or about kind of social issues, perhaps it's a compliment. They want to read something into your work because they think that it's, it has depth and it matters, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you see it like that. Like McQueen's work, for example, people saw it as political. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take any, uh, I'm not going to let anyone score points on me. If someone asks me about something, I'm gonna, I'm gonna block all shots, and I'm not gonna take any free points. I'm not gonna say, have someone say, "Oh, I heard, you know, you knocked that guy out like two weeks ago, and blah, blah, this happened," and I'll be like, "Oh, yeah, that happened." No. So if someone's <laughs> like, if it wasn't my intention for it to be political, and everyone gives it this credit, and somehow they're giving it a credibility, I'm like, you know. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't even want that kind of credit. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't want anything that I don't deserve. I just want a chance to drink at the, at the clear fountain. Mm -hmm. I just want a clean shot. I just want a clean bat to swing, you know. To, I want a clean bat to be able to swing at the wall with. Sure. And it's not. You know, every one of these questions, the majority of them are going to show the amount of dirt that's actually on the bat. Mm. Do you think it would be easier for you if you weren't famous then? Yeah, because famous, that's what I'm saying. It's like the N-word. People remind me in every meeting about how famous I am, but somehow, no, it wouldn't be easier. The answer is absolutely no. You need fame in order to sell your shit, <laughs> you know, in order to have, that's why people pay for advertisers. So, uh, you know, I'm basically the first 
of a celebrity that approached his entire career and life like he was an old bag brand that went and read, you know, did itself and went and got, you know, a really cool designer that Anna Winter suggested to revitalize it and became a really big brand. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning like celebrities have always had a way that they were supposed to do business with licensing sure. deals and this and this, but I always approach myself in a luxury way, mm -hmm. whether it's like calling Nick Tite a million times to work with him or going to factories in Italy or begging Tessie Club, which hasn't called me back yet, <laughs> to, uh, to uh, use their fabrics because they do Celine and uh, Lambon. And, uh, you know, I've always fought just to have better paints to work with. You know, when sure. I was in high school, I was on this one national competition where I'd done a watercolor and it was really, the, the color was really intense. And I lost the competition because the judges were confused. They said, uh, they said, um, either it's not really watercolor because the paint was too thick or I used watercolor in the wrong way. So I lost yeah. because of that. I don't know where those judges are today, but. Yeah, it wasn't the best feedback. Tell me, it's interesting, you mentioned Anna Winter and I just want to bring her up because she actually sent us a question for you. She said, what will you name your son and what do you hope for him as he gets older? I don't, I don't have a name for him, but what I hope for him is that he can feel purpose, that he can learn, that he has the opportunities. The other night I was driving uh, in Paris and I saw these three like high school kids running top speed and I didn't know if they were chasing a guy or what and then once they got up to the street it was a bus right there pulling off and they're like beating on the side of the bus and I looked at the time it's like oh it's like 1 a.m. so that might be the last oh, bus of the night and I was just like really saddened because I was like how can I make my son feel that mm. because once you felt that then none of these fucking questions matter. When you've missed that last bus before, when you had the opportunity to get on the bus, you don't give a fuck about any of this. When have you felt that? When I've missed the last fucking bus. <laughs> and, you know, like going to the Taste of Chicago, which really though, and having to sleep downtown in a parking lot. Or, Do you, you know, still get that feeling today about different things? No. No. It's almost not like not feeling anything. It's almost like being numb because of what I went through. It was a, a, an employee uh, that uh, that I'm about to hire. That was the global uh, uh, the global manager of accessories at a really good company, and she was really direct the way she was talking. And she went into this thing about how she stayed in a concentration camp, you know, till she was five years old, and that she didn't know that people actually took showers by themselves. And it's like, after someone's been through, you know, something like that, they could, they could give a fuck less about fuck. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just like, be real. You know, no, it's like, no, none of this, you know, none of this facade, you mm. know, thing. Do you worry that he'll be too kind of, um, will have to grow up in such a public way? Because it was a question that came in from a family 
Florist Boone, she said, do you care about the negative press coverage around you and your family, but also just the general coverage, that your every move is scrutinised? Um, yeah, and that's the reason why, you know, with the help of Anna Winter and, and other people, we've actually made a lot of positive press coverage. Yeah. The majority of the press that we get is actually positive because the majority of the things that we do are actually positive. And even the negative, it just can't outshine the truth. The truth shall come to light. You see it in front of you. You read this thing and they try to diminish me into some, you know, really simple concept and simple idea. And every time someone opens up, a con has a conversation of this and that, they're just like, whoa, it's, it's a possibility that he's thinking about more things and he wants to contribute more than I thought. Mm. Uh, so, you know, maybe to, let me dig into what I think the gist of what that person was asking. It's like, do I worry about, you know, being in the public eye and raising kids? Yeah. Uh, any situation you're in, you're gonna worry about raising kids, but it's, you know, it's champagne problems too. Mm. There's people who can't feed their kids. Yeah. That's something more to worry about. So I'm not going to sit here and complain about the so-called issues I have. These aren't real issues. Mm. There's people at war. There's people trying to make it to London right now. There's people, you know what I mean? It's like, it's really fucking serious. You guys talk to me about like some celeb shit, you know? <laughs> that's that, that's that real shit, you know what I mean? It's, it's fine and stuff. I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm this man. Oh, they got that wrong about me. You know what? I'm alive. Mm. I'm breathing. I did a show. We selling. We doing a second collection. Mm. I got no problems. Mm. Talking of like the bigger things that do mm. just change who you are and, and kind of completely affect who you work, how you work. Mm. You know, Kareem Rutfeld, the stylist, she she asked how has becoming a father changed the way you work? And I think that is one of those things where it's like, as you say, you put all the little things aside and something that big, it, it does just change who you are. And I'm interested to hear how that happened for you. Well, the way it changed who I was, you know, uh, three years ago, after this interview, I would have been on a train back to Paris to see like the last of the shows and, you know, get that inspiration and this and mm. that. And now I'm on the first flight back home to see my greatest inspiration, that's my daughter. Mm. That's nice, that's a really mm. nice answer. A lot of people mm. have asked about your daughter. They've asked about um, a particular one that I found really interesting was to do with having a daughter and how it's changed the kind of lyrics that you put into your songs, particularly explicit ones, and the way that you talk about women within your songs. That song, that question came from Ashley Givers, and she asked if having a daughter specifically has, has affected the way you kind of depict women in your music. Having a family period has completely made me rethink the way I rap, you know, because there's, you know, people extend their brand for a long time. There's true moments of genius, and then there's just moments of um, kind of looking through the archives and placing shit together. Like people... So many people rate, you know, Dark Fantasy is like one of the best albums. And Yeezus and 808s are so much better and stronger. Uh, Dark Fantasy is me almost like an apology record. Like Power was the least progressive song that I ever had as a first single. And it was like this me going back and spending six you know months dedicated months it, it was like over two years 
that it took to release the album, but six dedicated months and kind of piecing together what people liked about me mm. to make an entire bouquet that they loved that was the most listenable, that was the least challenging, that was that and blah, blah, blah. And people want to talk about how much they loved that, like it was Thanksgiving dinner. And you know, how long has Thanksgiving dinner been cooked for? And it's great. You don't want anybody to change anything on Thanksgiving dinner, but you know, you take 808s or Yeezus where these albums got completely, you know, panned when they came out. And then you see how they end up influencing things. So it's that balance of doing something that's sort of just gives you a, a blanket of, you know, comfortability for the listeners and for yourself that you can, you know, go on tour and do this and walk around and everybody, you know, thinks it's so great and they're really happy you did something that they like mm -hmm. and then you got the times where you have to just you know give them what you see as your future give them your innovation and having yeah. a family that gives you more motivation to do that to be more true to yourself no that just comes from you I just love my family that's so nice <laughs> that's yeah. really really nice <laughs> Um, a question I want to ask is just going a little bit back to the fashion thing. Sorry, we got a lot of questions. Someone said um, you talked kind of just wanting to be given a shot and you talked about, you know, just wanting to be able to kind of have your opportunity. And a guy called Jeremy Mullins, he said, do you actually believe that one day you'll be respected and regarded as one of the greatest of all time in fashion in exactly the same way you are in music? Of course. I'm Michelangelo. Of course. There's a time when... You know, when Michelangelo, I'm sure there were people who were sculpting better than him. Yeah. But he made David. So as far as that question goes, is there a time where he can go on the internet and find a shoe that people want more than my shoes? Well, go fuck yourself then if it isn't. And don't ask me no stupid shit like that again. With the love. <laughs> Do you ever experience <laughs> self-doubt? No. Never? No. Even when you were little? No. No, okay, good to know. Um, one thing that came in a lot from a lot of people, and you're probably bored of talking about this, but they picked up on that quote about sort of your fashion being available to everybody, and they really want to know like what that means, but also when that will happen, because obviously price point really relates to that. I'm not H&M. I don't have giant factories. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you, you know, like, you know, how can, how can I, how can I get the price point to where I need to be if I'm like, you know, uh, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm running an eight person design team. So what did you mean when you said that comment? I'm saying it's gonna take time to get there. Sure. This is what I'm saying, if you don't have the right tools. Yeah, this is completely. this is the question that everybody needs to ask. It's like, if you had the Celine Dion design team and the Nike design studio and the Zara factory, could you do everything that you thought you could do? Mm. And what would everyone's answer be to that? Yes. Mm. But if you don't have that Celine outerwear person and that factory and you don't have the, 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 the entire, or like just the entire Adidas studio, let me be politically correct, politically correct. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the, you know, the marketing team and you don't have the sales team. You don't have, 
you can only do what you can do. And we're doing a lot with what we have. What we have is the highest level of communication that mm -hmm. has ever happened on, in human existence. Tell me, explain that to me. My wife. Mm -hmm. She's like MTV and NBC and blah, 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 all this combined. Number one Instagram follower, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, number one on Instagram. And then the entire family. <laughs> and then you have me and my entire music family. Mm -hmm. So basically, there is no ad you could put in any magazine that could somehow add up to any one of me or my friends or my family just walking on the street and getting photographed. Mm -hmm. That is the fucking reality of 2015, people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make it easier to care less about critics? Because, as you say, you know, it doesn't really matter what they say. Like, the percentage of people that will engage with that is a fraction of the percentage of people that will see, like, one Instagram post from Kim, for example. Yeah, you know, it's just with the, you know... I mean, what could I say about them? You know, I appreciate... I appreciate everyone's opinion but I refuse to have a lesser opinion about myself. That's a really good way of putting it. One question which I liked and I just found interesting, it came from Cameron Canty, he's 18 from Texas, and he said, what specifically do you feel like fashion is missing that you can bring? I'm not even I'm not even concerned about bringing something to fashion. Okay. You know, I'm just I just want to be 5 years old. You know, when I was 5 years old, I picked out my outfit for kindergarten. I would go to you know, discount a discount furry. My mom would bring me to a discount furry and I would keep grabbing furs and say, "What about this, mom? What about this one?" And they would always be too expensive. The ones I liked when I was five. So I just want to be five years old. Mm -hmm. I, I loved clothes before I knew a fuck about the fashion world. Mm -hmm. And I can't let the fashion world jade anything or try to give me a reason of purpose or lack of purpose or acceptance or lack of acceptance or anything to just who I am. When I was five, when, when my grandfather had a... Um, a, a store in Oklahoma and he would go to the flea market and, and hustle to get, you know, the best prices and, you know, he'd go and redo people's furniture and, you know, he's a, a carpenter also. And he took that store and he, um, he was able to raise a family in a time where, you know, the schools are still segregated and put, and he named my mother Donda in 1949. He named her Donda, like he was predicting the future in 1949 and put himself in a situation where he was 13. His, his father put 15 cents in his hand and told him he was out of there. Mm -hmm. And he raised himself in a situation to be able to put my mother in, into college to the point where she got a PhD and became the first black female chair of Chicago State University. And then had a son that she then named Kanye, which meant the only one. 
that would go on to combat every form of thought and tradition that the media had presented up to that point. So tell me about other people's opinions again. <laughs> I think. I want to ask about your family because, yeah. you know, you've mentioned your dad yeah. during this interview, you just mentioned your granddad, yeah. you mentioned your mom. Like, is it your family that have had the biggest impact on your creativity and your sense of self and, and what you produce? Or were there other influences? You know, when I interview a lot of fashion designers here, they talk about like particular moments. They talk about, you know, like reading a certain magazine or seeing a certain designer, but it feels like all of your creativity comes from kind of your sense of self, which obviously came from your family. Maybe it didn't, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, I can't say where my creativity came from. I was just like blessed to have, to be talented. I would say that came from God. Yeah. My ability to give a fuck about somebody's opinion came from my family. Mm. My ability to fight for my creativity came from my family. And I'm sure there's people gonna take like that Michelangelo comment I said earlier, and, uh, and they'll take offense to that and just be like, whoa, he still won't stop, right? And let me just explain the justification for that, the proof of that. Ask any musician, period, of the past 15 years and I would be the closest thing to that. Those were sonic paintings. Fashion, clothes are sculptures, wearable art. Mm. Now, if you think about any brand, do you love every single thing from a brand? But look at the few opportunities that I got to collaborate with Louis Vuitton, Nike, Adidas, really established uh, companies and the level of love and impact people have for that product. That had proper infrastructure. So I had to take the money that I made from being the motherfucking Michelangelo of music of the past 15 years and invest it in trying to build an infrastructure against all odds in basically building a sculpture studio. Mm. Uh, so I wanted, I, I wanted to raise the branch up a little bit higher on that low-hanging fruit that everybody was going to snatch at, you yeah, know? Yeah, that makes so. sense. Talking, it's interesting, a lot of what you're saying is very much to do with kind of, yeah, like, I guess, communicating with people and being heard. And I want to talk, you know, we had, I'm sure you can imagine, millions of questions about the whole president thing. And someone asked, and I thought it was a really wonderful way of putting it, it was a guy called Caden Robertson, he's only 14, which I thought was really cute. And he said, why run for president? You have proven to be more influential than a president and running for office would limit your ideas. Everything you could do and would want to do as president can be done now. Other great leaders, Gandhi, Mandela, never needed to be elected to make a change. So why do you feel the need? Mandela got elected. Yeah, he's 14, give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't start cursing at him. <laughs> I read that exactly what he wrote because I thought it was cute. <laughs> Certain things that I'm compelled to do in life, or I, I don't feel the need to find justification for them. So you're definitely going to do it? Yeah. It's interesting. Someone said when you made that kind of... And um, they said when you made that announcement, was it something that you decided on or did it just come in the moment that you felt that and you just said it? It had been talked about, you know, a lot like 
for the past like five years and talked about with my team and I decided that I was going to announce it, you mm. know, then. Do you think Barack Obama has done enough? A lot of people asked you that. Um, I don't want to make comments or give opinions on what other people have done. Sure. You know, but I think I think he's done a lot of great things and I think that there would be no chance of people even considering the concept yeah. of me running if he hadn't have won. And will you run with a party or will you run alone? I don't have all the answers right now. Okay. And um, one thing that a lot of people asked, even Romero, Aaron Lewis, they asked, what do you plan to do? What are the, some of the things you really want to do when you're in leadership? I like to sit with engineers and come up with solutions and alternatives for people without opportunity that end up having to go through desperate measures or feel like life isn't worth living or that other people's lives don't matter. And um, I think that the way that I collaborate with people and the way that I, I empower the people I collaborate with is a different way to look at problem solving for the world than a normal political way. Definitely. I want to just ask questions. Like I've already decided that when I'm in debates and I just don't know, I'll say, look, I, I don't know. I'll get back to you with that. Mm -hmm. And I'll just consult with the top 10, top <laughs> five, top 10 people on the planet. And if, and if there isn't an absolute right answer, I'll say these are the two highest answers that we came up with right now, because it's not about me, it's we. That's the whole purpose, is to say that skill set that brought me back from, you know, the, the Taylor Swift moment, the original Taylor Swift moment, this, the, the skill set that took the little kid in the pink polos to the top of the rap game, that skill set that, you know, took a Celine designer, a Nike designer, and three Adidas designers and made the hottest shoe. The skill set that, you know, you know, brought my wife to the cover of Vogue. <laughs> you know, like all of these, uh, you know, these journeys that these, like these questions say, these absolutely, these absolute, like, you can't, you, this can't be done, have been like, you know, almost self-serving. Mm. And that's where it gets the I, I, I. It's like, it's for me, it's for my family. My family meaning, you know, my direct family. But what happens if there's a certain point where it doesn't become about me and my family, but my family becomes the human race mm. and I could do all of that all that fight all of that confidence all of that problem solving all of that asking questions all of that trying to you know find the best answer and listening through you know if I could maybe do that to help 
more people mm. and you can help more people in a position of power to go back to the gentleman's question you know mm. earlier mm. and these are just now in theory form but you know I'm just I'm speaking from the heart a few mm. people correlated mm. kind of the president run with with your lyrics and particularly the lyric about no one man should have all that power and, and it's interesting you just said to me there you know you can change your mind you can be wrong about things and do you sometimes feel that like your own ideas have changed so much in the kind of years that you've been working of course because you get new information okay that's interesting mm. does it frustrate you then when people because people are inevitably going to draw a parallel between that lyric and the fact you're going to run for president that's not frustrating there are some things earlier that were frustrating to me because they're just so backhanded, this, that, blah, 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 ignorant, da, 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 in the, you know, approach and not really embracing. Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. No, it's not the messenger. <laughs> but no one's being like, man, I know I saw people line up for three days for your shoes, but one day will you be respected as a designer? I designed that shoe, didn't I? Yeah. And I see somebody else's shoes getting lined up for. Mm. So I think that there's a lot of 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 25-year-old, 35-year-old people who respect me as a designer? Just to go back to whose question was that again? That said that just so we can really point his oh, name out, bad. so we can get like some tweets on it. The respect it was Jeremy Mullins. He's only nineteen. He's from Florida. Okay, cool. Well, since he was only nineteen, you'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> he can make mistakes. Yeah. One question that I do want to ask um, is from Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, and it relates to what you were talking about about the human race. And he said. I met you at a dinner in Paris with Ricardo Tichy and we had a really great talk and one thing stuck in my mind, you said that you felt that there was a new form of racism called class and no one was talking about it. And I found, he said, I found that interesting because I come from a radical background, my father is a Marxist and you told me your parents were also radicals. Can you explain to me more what you mean about that and is that something that you want to explore further? Yeah, it's, it's class is education, mm. you know, and people not having the opportunity to be educated. The, the biggest thing that made me the, you know, the uncontrollable, blah, blah, whatever things are, just simply by being educated. Mm. <laughs> simply by being educated made me uncontrollable. Mm. But it's not that I needed to be controlled. I need to be helped. I need to be supported. I don't wish negative on anyone. I want, you know, you know, positive for everyone. I want everyone to win. I don't want to even be in a competition with with anyone. I just want people to live, be the best thems and live the happiest lives uh, 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 possible. And, you know, if you keep information and opportunity away from people, certain people, a group of people, then it's destined that they'll stay at a lower class. And what's interesting about, you know, the combination of that and being American, because you know, I find, you know, some, I've, I found sometimes when I've worked, I've had a design studio in London before, and I find that because of the way the government is set up, this is the queen and this is that, and people wouldn't have the opportunity to say they'll run for being no, 100%, queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you know, yeah. I'm going to run for queen. <laughs> you know, you, that, that from birth is, and then, then you couldn't be president of the States because you're not in the United mm. States cities. So it's like, I mean, you you know, um, it, it sort of like circumcises your dreams from day one mm. in a way. You know, whereas like America is like a land of opportunity where people can work their way, climb their way 
up through the class system. Mm. But to be truly honored as a black person in what is, you know, a class of society, you know, the, the final house in the suburban community mm. with the white picket fence and to be looked at as an equal is still, you know, something it's a it's a lot of mixed kids away. It's a lot of mixed it's a lot of mixed kids away yeah. from that. But the the world is the world is mixing, mm. period. You know, so in a thousand years, the world might just be completely what would be known as black currently, mm. Mm. but it would just be a a new race. Yeah, Except for people whose f main goal and focus at that time is to keep the purity of separate separatism. But I just don't see, I see the future as people being mixed. Like, I think that other races are really attracted to each other and always have been because I believe that we're meant to. And, but I think that we're taught to not, like I was taught to never, you know, bring a white girl home when I was you know, eight years old, but I, I liked, I liked white girls. I liked black girls too, but I also liked white girls. But it was like, so like, it was such a taboo. Mm. And then I'm sure, like I said in a Tyler uh, song, I know they told their daughters don't bring home Jerome. Uh, and I'm, I'll tell you firsthand from my, from my single days that white women do like black guys. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, but I think it's something, you know, amazing about mixing the cultures and the amount of information that both cultures, you know, bring to the table or three cultures or four cultures. You ask a girl and she'll say, you know, I'm German and Portuguese mm. and Asian. Just when I gave you that right now, what do you picture in your mind? Mm. Guys, this probably guys are like, oh shit. I need, to, <laughs> I need to meet this German, Portuguese, Asian girl right now, you know? <laughs> you already picture someone beautiful. Mm. By just, just by me naming different races together and having the idea that a woman is saying that she's mixed with these, you picture automatically someone beautiful. Someone beautiful. It's interesting, <laughs> a lot of people asked about your kind of vision for the <laughs> world and what you'd like <laughs> it to be like, and it seems like that <laughs> mixing of ethnicities and cultures is the most important thing to you. I'm not telling people who they should sleep with. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm You're just saying. You're giving me quite clear advice. You're yeah. like, white girls like black guys, Lou. Oh, no, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just zoning on what I feel mm. today. I'm yeah. interested yeah. in the focus you just put on mm. education, though, because mm. the question that came in from a few people was, do you feel like if you hadn't dropped out, you would be where you are? Because I think it's also important, education is important, but maybe that ability to opt out of the system is also important. I think I would be further and more dangerous. Do you? That's really interesting. Yes, education is important. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm envious of people who have read multiple novels and, you know, multiple, you know, philosophy books. And, you know, I wish I had more information. I'm thirsty for knowledge. I'm busy with my own ideas and I've 
almost, I have ADD as soon as I pick up a book and I'll hear, see something that sparks me and it makes me think of 30 things I want to do. I put down a book and start working on that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of people who, you know, who have, I'm envious of information. Mm -hmm. So college dropout, this, that, 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 you know, now me at my age, I'm looking and I'm looking, okay, what what were the reasons why I lost money when I did this? What was the reasons why I failed at that? What mm. was it? It all came to not having the playbook, mm. to not having the information, you know. And with me, when I work on fashion, I'm sitting here in the woods trying to chop down trees, screaming at the top of my lungs, can somebody just throw me some water? And everyone's sitting laughing at me. That's, that, that's the fashion world. That's the fashion critics. That's the critics. That's the critics. Me sitting here trying my absolute hardest and everyone just laughing at me. Mm. And only one person coming up with a camera and then Nick shooting a shot that then shoots across the world and said, oh, he's working with Nick Knight. And then Pat coming in and doing the makeup. And then, oh, he's working with Pat. Or Ricardo coming in and saying, no, you can't talk about Kim. This is my friend right here. Mm. Say, oh, wow, the hottest designer likes Kim. And then the fashion world is like, hmm, maybe it's okay. And then they come together and say, well, do you think we can capitalize off of this in some way? Mm. Oh, well, come, come, come. Yeah. We can capitalize and shit. But they definitely were fucking not letting me in the shows and fucking constantly laughing at me and trying to keep the joke going. But you know, there's a lot of tsunamis and earthquakes that hit while people were joking on the beach. Yeah. So keep joking on the beach. <laughs> the Kim thing's interesting <laughs> to me because I feel, particularly working in fashion, I feel like I watched that happen, that period where people were so critical and now want her at their shows, they want to dress her, they want her front row. And that must upset you in a way because she's your wife and you said you love her. And to see that kind of, that U-turn, in a way, it's great because it shows how much people respect her and they can see how amazing her influence is. But also that kind of, yeah, that backhandedness. Is that difficult? Because you must feel protective. It's always... Always... It's better now than it was. Mm. And I feel happy about that. That's nice. That's really <laughs> nice. One thing, we talked a lot about tolerance mm. during mm. this interview, and I find mm. that really interesting. Mm. And a question came in that stood out, because the only person that asked it, it's a guy called Phoenix. He talked about gay people within music and within the rap world and the stigma towards homosexual rappers. And he talked about how you talk a lot about, you know, society moving past stigma and being more accepting but he said do you feel that that's still a problem within music yeah it's funny isn't it so funny how just the culture of different art forms yeah, is so different mm -hmm. where it's like i felt that i got discriminated against 
in fashion also for not being gay. Yeah. Whereas in music, you definitely get discriminated against if you are gay. And it definitely, you know, it takes, you know, some amazing talents to really break down that barrier. Mm -hmm. Like people, people don't have a problem with white rappers now because, you know, Eminem ended up being the greatest, you know, artist. And everybody thought that when Frank Ocean, um, Frank Ocean's album dropped that people were gonna be like, no, this is bad for his career. And he's, you know, one of, one of the greatest writers of all time. And it, it always, it, it like, uh, what's that song? A tornado fun. And I feel like it's so cliche to, to speak about him, particularly related to this subject, but mm. it, there always are the people who are the people who broke the ground. And I think he's the one that broke, you know, broke the ground because mm. it's just people don't give a fuck. They love his music so, so much. It's, you know, the people who break the stereotypes that make uh, history, but I just thought it was interesting to kind of point that out yeah. about the fashion world and the music world and how just culturally it's reverse discriminations. Mm. No, that is really interesting. Mm. Talking about breaking ground, a question mm. came, that came in from one of your kind of friends, it's from Willow Peron. He said, how did you feel when you heard that your stepfather was going to transition and become a woman? You know, the first thing I did think about is I thought about, you know, like, black radio uh, um, host, you know, maybe possibly making jokes about it because the black culture is generally so homophobic and they're just, you know, just news cycles are just constantly, they're just trying to find like some news and some interesting things like, this rapper has this, you know, transgender person mm -hmm. in his family and, you know, and, But then it was like, fuck what people say, fuck what people think. I just, you know, I just feel so, I feel proud to be in a family that has, you know, so many people breaking ground for, for the generations to come. I just feel it's like, whoa, it's like reality show. Like that's so fucking new of an mm. art form mm. to the point where they, you know, it's like my wife and her family should have had plenty of Emmys by now, mm. but reality shows are considered to be like rap was when the Mondrian wouldn't let Run DMC and motherfucking Will Smith stay there because they were rappers mm. or the idea of a reality star not being allowed into a fashion show or not being nominated for their show even if it's the longest running and the most popular and people everybody I know watches it and shit so the you know I feel proud that not only my contribution of the, the credibility that you know I gained garnished from music and just my general social opinions uh, that I could be next to a wave of thought of this is who I am. Mm. And that is all I'm about. I'm just about like, fuck, are we seriously? To let your life be controlled by public opinion would be like asking to sit in traffic for the rest of your life. 
Meaning like, you want to turn this way, but it's a car right here that says this. You want to turn that way, but it's a car right here that says, you want to go a bit faster, but it's a car right in front of you. You want to just stop. Cars start honking at you. You got to do this. That's this and that and public opinion and that, blah, blah, blah. That's what that is. And Bruce just got off the exit sign and drove as fast as he wanted to. Oh, I'm sorry. It's disrespectful to use that name. Sorry. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh. You know, still getting acquainted with you know what's politically correct and that political because it's new, it's new, it's yeah. modern. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's like, you know, our this is like Roman times, bro. It's like this time that we have on this hundred years is really the the beginning of the future we finally tapped into the type of technology and acceptance and thought that we need to like look at the new pope you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's a it's a bunch of dope motherfuckers <laughs> you know out here that are like just pushing towards uh you know, pushing towards the future. And it's funny that I, that, you know, I went into this, uh, this train of thought off of Willow's question because he is the most important one of, if not the, but the most important person in my creative growth. He is mm -hmm. my number one instructor. He is the reason why I was able to know who Nick Knight was. And he is my greatest home tutor, like mm -hmm. educator. There is no, you know, you know, and I, you know, as I said, I felt like I had the, the spark of me, but every, Mike, Mike Tyson needed a custom model, <laughs> uh, Hercules needed whatever that little guy was on the movie with the, <laughs> that was the trainer of Achilles and this and that and that and that. And like, he is my greatest cultural um, coach uh, as far as uh, Helvetica fonts go, you know, <laughs> as far, and and operatic stages and, you know, honing and training and riding fixed gear bikes around uh, Paris and shit <laughs> and just analyzing and philosophizing, I don't know, that's a real word, about, you know, where the future, you know, where the future can go. And that whole idea of Donda and what we do with design and the the way we've simplified things and or made album covers important again or stage shows important or you know long you know only sonic no word outros to songs and blah 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 this is all like an extension of you know my times and my trainings with Willow. Mm. I think some mm. of the things you said there were really beautiful. It was lovely. Mm. One of the things I'm going to get killed if I don't ask, like hundreds of people ask this, I'm not going to name all their names. 
next album, when's it actually coming? Tell us about the name. What are you trying to communicate with it? Why Swish? Well, as I said when I first said that name, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to keep that name. But I just felt like I didn't want to walk around with the name, so help me God, you know, for the, for the amount of time that I was working on the album. So I'd you're going to change it from Swish? I don't know. But I just... Um, I just felt that that was like a little bit, it was, it was a heavy backpack to carry. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, so Swish just like kind of lightened the load so I could just, so I could let it be whatever I wanted it to be. So I could just work on the painting and find something, which actually me and Nick today, he just showed me a piece and I'm not going to say, uh, you know, the idea, but I just was really inspired by some things and, you know, you can find you can find the the purpose through a painting, through a, a video, through a conversation, through a sunset, um, through a, a really tragic headline. Um, and it's like I was making these, these putting, co collecting these vibes and just things that I liked, but the album had no purpose. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it's finding something that's like, wait a second, okay, it can go to something like this. It could be, I always wanted to do this. Okay, this would be the reason why I do that. Like, I did Cruel Summer because I wanted to shoot Surround Vision. Uh, I had this idea, and for people out there that don't know what Surround Vision uh, is, I was performing with Jay-Z one night on Watch the Throne, and I was just looking at how the whole audience was experienced in the performance, and I, you know, looked up. I thought of this uh, theater experience where there's the screen above us, below us, to the left of us, completely peripheral to the right of us, and three screens in front of us. And then we made this gyro gyroscope system and like put like iPhones on it and just, just kind of recorded like some kids running across the street. Uh, and you know, you saw them on this side, then you saw them in front of them, in front of you, then you saw them on that side. You heard them, you heard them, you heard them because we had a multiple uh, speaker system. You saw the ground below you, you saw the sky above you. And then two weeks later, we went to Qatar and shot um, uh, a film. And my idea, because I, you know, couldn't, you know, get money from the, you know, movie houses, mm. uh, I said, you know, I, I went to Def Jam and said, look, I'll just do an album. And the whole point was to get the budget and I was thinking, well, you know, this should be easy. I've got all these rappers on my record label and blah, blah, blah. Then I end up having to rap on fucking seven songs and like, <laughs> you know, taking a while to finish the album. And it still has a lot of amazing songs. And the idea was that I want to do an album that's more commercial on purpose. I want to show that I can make just outright radio songs because before that it was 808s and it was Dark Fantasy and all this shit that was like very like heavy. Mm -hmm. And I want to show that I could do something that's just lighter. And, but it was, I gave you this whole example just to say that the reason that I did the, you know, album uh, was just so I could shoot that film. Lots so, of people have asked about yeah. the films and when they're going to get to see them and what's going to happen with them. And... Hopefully, yeah, I'm, I'm working on some, um, I'm working on some ideas. Uh on how to you know, be able to bring it back. I don't want to make an announcement yet of when I think I'm bringing 
full summer back, but we're working on something right now. Soon? I don't want to make a... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that came in a lot, and I think people were concerned, they said, like it was Yuval Goldman, 18, he's from Israel. He said in a lot of your last interviews, you focus so much more on fashion than on music. And I guess we've done that in this interview. And he mm -hmm. said, it seems like your album's being delayed because you're working so much on your clothing lines. Is fashion your main passion instead of music? You kind of said at the start, it's the most exciting art form. But he said, does music not excite you in the way it did a few years ago? Um, no, it doesn't excite me like when I heard Wu-Tang, you know. Of course it doesn't excite me like that, or it doesn't excite me like when I was using auto-tune, you know, for my first time, not the first time it was used, but for my first time. No, it wasn't my first time, because I did it on College Dropout too, but it was, there were, there were things to, there were things to prove, there were purposes, there was, you know, Lauren Hill and Deb Prez, and there was this idea of, mixing, you know, this kind of messaging meets the hotness of like Rockefeller and, 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 and proving that, you know, that this was a possible thing. You know, uh, I am an inventor. Mm. I'm an innovator. You know, it, it's fine for other people to proliferate on an idea, but I get excited by the, I, I get excited by ideas not by responsibility. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I'm even writing a rap, it starts to feel like a big responsibility. And yeah. if you look at Andre 3000, that's considered top five by a lot of people, greatest rappers of all time. The majority of the time, he actually only had to write one verse, yeah. <laughs> you know? So as far as like doing three verses and this and that, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you start to feel more like, um, like you're doing a talk show every night than, mm. than doing some type of prophetic, um, uh, you know, every two year speech. Mm. You know, I think it's, I, I believe that there's raps that I had that meant everything. And I believe that there are certain raps that were just hot and there's something that meant something about just hearing something that was hot but so i'm not gonna say it meant nothing mm. but it meant nothing for lack of a better way to describe <laughs> it you know and you know people could want so many things out of you and you don't want to let people down and you want to and because of like Michelangelo comments and things like that. you want to deliver genius, you want to prove, uh, you know, people wrong. You want to prove people right that are fighting for you. And sometimes creatively, because I'm held to task by, you know, the highest critics of every genre of mm -hmm. art, I feel like I'm one of those guys that, you know, hundreds of years ago, they would, they would steal something and their, their form of death would be to be tied to four horses, that they whip the horse, the, all the horses at the same time, and they pull their arms out of the sockets each way. It's a horrible vision. That's how it feels when I'm getting pressure from all the different angles sometimes. Yeah. 
it feels like my arms are getting and my legs are all getting pulled out of my body at the same time. So there's no chance that album you're working on now will be your last just to stop a bit of that pressure? Mm. Well, I never, I never call out what would be the last or call out what, what would spark more inspiration. Mm. You know, because I do hear, some, I will like think of a philosophy or think of something I want to say mm. and say, hmm, this would be a really great opening line. Or I do think of, hmm, maybe I want to abstract the way you even hear rap. Like it's a lot of people who liked All Day, the original, better than the one that eventually got yeah. released. And that was so much more like a freestyle, but it left things really open, mm -hmm. which yeah. felt more like later Picasso mm -hmm. works. Oh, yes, as you guys know, I think I'm Picasso also. So, uh, <laughs> uh, or the closest thing to. So, um, equal, lesser, equal, or maybe even better. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, You know, maybe there's something that's more cubist about the way, you know, I rap. And that's and that's what I'm trying to find where it's like, do you really need to fill in every, you know, do you really need to paint every angel wing in? You'd hear like mm. that paintings weren't completely finished, you know, mm. so. Yeah. It's interesting you say yeah. like this because a question came in that I thought was so smart. Mm. Um, and here's another thing. There's a lot of things, the majority of the things that are popular now, and, and excuse me if this is just, uh, this is going to be a, a really just truthful, straightforward statement. The majority of things that are popular now are really directly based on something that I've done over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. You can pinpoint it, you know, like that was that album or that was that song or that was that. No, I think it's amazing. I think I had a purpose, you know. I, it, that was my purpose, to innovate. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. So if you hear something that sounds similar to something that I've done before, that is an extension of a new album mm. for me. That's interesting. Um, so a lot of the people that, who you talk about that you kind of really admire or who you think are really talented, do you often see yourself in the work that they're making? Yeah, completely, mm. you know. So people you've talked about like working with or you've cited in, in your conversations, you know, Drake, Young Thug, all these different people. Do you see that in their work? I don't want to, I'm not trying to specify, mm. you know, uh, people, but I do feel, uh, I just feel what I, what I just said. I feel like yeah. it's like a lot of, there is a lot of influence and you can almost pinpoint the moments when things happen but also i'm heavily i was heavily influenced by radiohead and james brown and coplay and jay dilla and jay-z and mm. tribe and farside and um dr dre or quincy jones or teddy riley or so all of that was in my work mm. too Something someone asked that I thought was really smart, and you've kind of hinted at it. They've talked about, um, with your lyrical process, this is a question came from Grant Tyler, he said, with your lyrical process, is it important to you that the listener completely understands explicitly what you're saying, like with each line, or is it better that they just take the abstract emotional gist of the song? I thought it was a really smart question. 
and, and it totally related to what I said earlier yeah, exactly. about finding, you know, I think the abstraction, I wrote this thing down the other day. I said, I hope this, I hope my words don't get in the way of, uh, uh, don't, see, I'm about to, ironically, this is exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. I hope my words don't get in the way of your meaning, how I feel, yeah, yeah. my meaning, yeah. I hope the, hope the words don't get in the way of what I mean, mm -hmm. you know. But words, fuck, you know, it's an extremely powerful tool that can be, ooh. So, I do, you know, I mean, I just like abstract music. I like to listen to Coltrane and say, mm -hmm. this is amazing. I feel an era of that, you know, and I feel a rise of that possibly coming. Like after, after so many words, it's just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. A lot of people have, obviously, you, you'll know this from knowing your fans, but a lot of people really relate to specific words. And there was a question that came in from a guy called Carl Swigan, and he said that he listened a lot to particular aspects of your music and he talks about suffering from anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and he talks to, about listening to I feel like that and he said your music has gotten me through a lot and then he asked what gets you through similar things because maybe it's your own music but he talks about when you're feeling anxious or you're feeling down or you're feeling depressed like what do you turn to because a lot of your fans they will turn to your music but I'm wondering what you have I, I just talked to my wife <laughs> what did you do before that talk to my wife, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, uh, or talk to my would-be wife. Uh, I, um, uh, or I talk to my friends, I just talk. Mm. I talk, I get really, like, explicit, you know, with the way that I feel at that time, you know, and I'm extremely open that way I can, you know, sweat, you know, sweat the anxiety out. I, I open up the pores and sweat the anxiety out or sweat the what I'm worried about or say, you know, what are we doing? You know, if this is a game or this is a war, how many soldiers did we just lose? You know, what what can we do differently to to win and to to win extremely to prove everyone, you know, wrong. And I appreciate, you know, I appreciate naysayers. I appreciate non-believers because also, you know, sometimes it's weird for me when people do believe in me. Like, some, you know, someone will come up to me and be like, man, I believe you're like Basquiat or, you know, people say stuff like that to me. I'll just be like, wait a second. Only I can say that about myself. Yeah. That's a question actually that someone asked about the mm. pressure you feel on mm. yourself because things like, you know, mm. I am God or that sense of you being like, you know, this divine power. And they said, does that give you, does that scare you? Does it freak you out? Because a lot of people wrote in and they said lovely things like, like you know, his music's got me through the hardest time. Like he stopped me from committing suicide. He stopped me from fucking up my life. But you must feel a sense of like pressure from that when people treat you like you are this kind of like God to them. Yeah, the reason why I made the song I Am A God is so those people that feel less than can turn it up and say it loud and embrace it for themselves, that God is inside of all of us. 
it wasn't about specifically yeah. me. It was about us as a race, mm -hmm. that we are an extension of God, that we all have God inside of us. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. One question that came in a lot was, if you could give yourself advice now to when you were doing, when you were dropping out of college at that point, what advice would you give? Well, it kind of related to what we were saying earlier when you asked about if I do, I think I'd be in a better place if I, um, so, you know, there's so many things that had to happen for me to be sitting here with you right now. Um, and it would be It wouldn't be truthful for me to give a statement as arrogant as uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, because when I sit on a long flight to Paris, all I do is wallow in the things that I wish I could have changed, and <laughs> the things I would have tweaked and been like, ah. Uh. Like what? So, so as far as the college thing, you know, I don't seem to wallow on that that much, but if you ask me the straightforward question about it, I'd say, you know, it'd be like, the more education, the better. The more you know. Um, well, sometimes you can know too much, especially mm -hmm. if you don't have the opportunity to do things and it can drive you crazy. And that's a bit of what the Yeezus period was like, okay. to know that I was simply not succeeding due to lack of resource. Mm. due to lack of assistance mm. and to have shown so many times that you've had an ability but for people to doubt your ability because you're not playing your position mm. the p position that they want you to play uh you're not tall enough to be center or something like that so um that's it one question that i liked is a simple one it came from malik davis she said what was the scariest moment of your life And probably my car accident, you know, not to, a lot of times I try to find answers that are like, mm, I wouldn't have expected that, <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty scary. Mm. Yeah. And tell me someone, Rebecca Carrington, she said, you talk about luxury and about the only luxury we have being time. And she said, what do you spend most of your time doing? Working on luxury. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, that was good. I like that. No, but, uh, that probably is it. I do spend the majority of my time working on my my goals. Uh, uh, to create, you know, this creative ecosystem that allows a bunch of ideas to flow through them, mm. you know? And I'm sure Nick could probably relate to that. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, do you spend the most time in photography? You spend that? Like, no, I probably spend the most time on trying to create something that allows me to create everything, mm. you know? 
Thinking about kind of improving the world, one question that made me laugh, it came from Boris Johnson, who's the mayor of London, which we were very excited about. He said <laughs> he's very happy to have you in our city, but he said, what would you do to make London better? Widen the streets, because I get really scared when like, <laughs> The driver is like, it's a big truck coming. I'm just like, it's quite scary. That's very really specific. <laughs> <laughs> how did they miss that truck? <laughs> There's one question that I want to ask, which I thought was really, really strong, and it, it kind of related earlier, but I missed it out because we talked about other things. Um, and it goes back to what we were talking about with race, and it came from a girl called Alani Nelson, who's 21, and she said, How do you think your portrayal through lyrics, visuals, quotes of the black woman have informed pop culture's understanding of black women? And do you think it is within the function of contemporary black male rappers to uplift their female counterparts in the face of adversity? Well, I definitely think generally rap is misogynistic and it's just a part of, you know, it's not saying it's just like justifying it, the culture. So I definitely think that I've said bitch get out the car in some of my lyrics and stuff like that I'm uh and you know is there a responsibility you know I feel that uh, I feel like rap at, you know for the 20 years that I've like studied it it's only as a, as a whole culturally as a whole it's only responsible to trend so the only way that specifically what she's talking about would be heard more is if it was more in style. Mm. Meaning rap is a, is a communication of trend. It's a communication of the way people are in real life. It's a communication of like what someone just said to their girlfriend on the phone or argument they just had or something positive that just you know, you know, happen. And what I've noticed is, you know, because there was a time, there was a time where we had like Afrocentric rap and everybody was like, you know, it was just more like how common it is, like my queen, this, mm -hmm. that. Like you almost, you haven't even heard the queen and word queen in so long in that, in that context. Um, what I've noticed is, when I come home from a meeting with, I don't know, some head of a studio or whatever, and I just get completely dissed and like I play him a bunch of, show him a bunch of creative things. Like I did these, like on Despicable Me when he was trying to show his mom he could make a rock and she's just like, whatever, that's weak. <laughs> that's how it is like going to meet with people in Hollywood and showing, you, showing them your ideas and shit. They just like shit on you. And it's like, we don't need that, it's weak, you know? And, um, and I'll come home from one of those meetings and I'll find myself being more, you know, irritated and maybe uh, being more rude with my wife. Mm. And so let's take that to the idea of a black male in America not getting a job or getting fucked with at his job or getting fucked with by the cops or being looked down upon by this lady at Starbucks and he goes home to his girl 
And just to think about my frustration that I had, and if I was rude to my wife because of that, and like, we like, are like super well off, you know, so to the point where it's literally like, this guy is like, I can't take my kids school shopping if I knock my manager the fuck out. If mm -hmm. he says this to me one more time, like they literally cannot drink the yay juice at all. They cannot turn up <laughs> at all, you know what I mean? And it's like, you just, you know, you scream at the person that's close to you, the closest to you. And I, this song that Chief Key put out that I sang the chorus on is, I was saying no one, I was singing no one and saying, I, I scream at you because I can't scream at nobody else. Mm. And, and then take that and you go to the studio and that frustration and disrespect is now coming out towards the woman next to you or the women around like we can't we can't wife you you just a thought you just like we can't do this blah blah and and then the guys around like nigga you better not say that to me i'm gonna shoot you uh you know like don't you know don't get my and it's from you know lack of opportunity mm. you know lack of it's from being inside of traffic yeah. that 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 thing i told you earlier today the lack of ability to see your way out and you just start being frustrated inside of that space and then you go into the studio and that's what it's gonna sound like mm. nigga don't test me i'm gonna shoot you fuck you bitch because that fuck you bitch came from america mm. that fuck you bitch came from our lack of opportunities that nigga i'm gonna shoot you came from our lack of and from racism which is an amazing tool it's like it's like a, uh if if you could put racism inside of the battery of your phone it would never stop working meaning it's like it is a never ending it works yeah. on itself it's like residual and shit like residual racism like residual racism is to to be in a racist situation you working at this fucking job downtown blah blah, blah. they treating you like shit and you go home and you just mad at everybody around you it's like black people don't even like black people at a certain point you don't mm -hmm. even and i always say racism is like the is like the hate that keeps on hating and shit mm -hmm. and i said this thing i was sitting with steve mcqueen uh, when we, we showed our, um, uh, we showed our, uh, piece that we did on all day. And I feel like mm -hmm. that. And we put it in the LACMA. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, let me say that again, just to purely be a dick, <laughs> because I said that knowing that it was a stunt and very intellectual. So me and Steve McQueen, <laughs> you know, but I like really to, impressed. I like <laughs> I think it's a very impressive thing to say. Impressive. So, I, but I like to say shit like that right after saying "nigga, nigga, fuck, 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 wee, wee, wee." So, um, uh, but I, I said, I said, I just embrace racism. He just looked at me like, "What the fuck do you mean you embrace racism?" <laughs> I was like, "No, it's here. Hmm. It's like this thing. It's like we're in a jail cell with it and stuff. Are we going to keep fighting this inmate and shit, or how do we, uh, how do we just embrace what's in front of us?" as opposed to always pinpointing that, you know, it's the, it's the reason, you know, that you're being held back. But me, 
I realized in order to truly be one of the greatest artists and one of the most remembered artists, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to art, I'm, I'm gonna get off a of social subject and I'm gonna switch more into the art and fashion con mm -hmm. context again, uh, is that same assistance that I begged for and I saw and I got frustrated for, the fact that I'm starting to do it without some of that assistance yeah. is what makes it truly historical and what demands the respect uh, and that's the reason why even in the beginning, when there was like an olive branch of, um, you know, I, I say an intellectual olive branch of your show had more meaning than yeah. just being an oversized sweatshirt. I refused that intellectual, get that fucking branch out of <laughs> my face. I ain't gonna take it. <laughs> the, uh, I ain't gonna take the meaning that you proposed upon me. This is what I meant. And if it's not good enough for you, then fuck you. And, um, you know, my aunt one time said, I, you know, she let me see Robocop and my dad was really strict. And I uh, came home and was about to tell him and she grabbed me and said, you're really a glutton for punishment, aren't you? <laughs> like almost like a, a masochist or some shit, right? And like, in a way I am, I yeah. kind of like pain. I like the challenge. I like making things harder for myself because if you can beat the game on the hardest mode possible mm. you know then you'll be the best of all time so that means if i become a good designer as a black straight american entertainer rich dude whatever all type of shit that says you know you shouldn't be able to like have any creative thoughts um then it's like the ultimate fucking win then you're mm -hmm. like you know eminem or tiger woods or you know just someone who completely broke uh, all boundaries uh barack obama mm. um and it's exciting you know this interview is exciting it's like this like because it's such a, it's, it's, it's like a battle of perception and a, a battle of the intellects and a battle of culture and a battle of class, a battle of taste, this type of battle. And it's y'all motherfuckers know I'm going to win this battle. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, but it's like, it's so fun. No, it's so fun. You know what I mean? Like, it's fun. It's like. Like, come on, okay, let's go. You know, because the whole trick that I always say, it's like, I'm an artist and mm -hmm. an artist can like, basically take on any shape, form, and an artist can paint anything. An artist can paint anything. So when I'm like opening up like the Jesus Mountain on tour and stuff, and I'm standing with like the Margiela mask, which me and Rennie designed the costumes mm. with the Margiela Atelier, by the way. Mm. So it's like, we knew, you know, I just sometimes, some nights in the middle of one of my rants, I'll just be like, I'm sorry, the gig is up. I actually was never really a rapper. I was always an artist. And that's the reason why I'm just killing this shit so hard right now. Uh, so when you talk to you guys, lighting guys, um, it might not come out as good, but don't feel bad. 
because uh, <laughs> I've been trained since uh, age five and went to college for this shit. But it's always like that secret thing, you know, like I'll find out, you know, it'll be somebody, it'll be like a black dude that's like really like good with money and shit. And it'll be like, well, you know, don't tell anyone, but I'm actually half yeah. Mm. So, that's a compliment that is not anti-semitic don't hit me with like no fucking blah 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 you know like but don't hit don't try to come to me with no anti-semitic somebody i gotta pay a hundred thousand dollars because you was offensive blah, blah, blah. i'm saying that because i love jewish my cousin right there over there he's jewish like isn't that what race people are saying my best friends are black yes, you know my best friends are jewish but they are they mm. really i do have a lot of jewish people who are like my best friends and i look at you know, as a culture, you know, the way that they communicate and share information. So let's bring this interview back and say, it's about information, it's about information. That is a culture that shares information. Oh, you opened up a store? I wanna open up a store too. Well, let me show you let how show you I that. did it. Yeah. That did not happen in the black community. Yeah. It may happen for your family, your son, maybe. You know what I'm saying? But it's like day one, this is how this community works. This is how we grow we grow together and that racism slave mentality nigga mentality show off mentality i'm a fuck your bitch mentality all that is like what makes a, a culture that has really all of the the highest physical attributes going for it mm -hmm. the weakest is simply like that speech uh that uh uh dicaprio gave on uh the slave movie on um mm -hmm was Django, yeah. uh, simply removing the esteem. And that is why I refuse to fucking back down. You have to know that you are somebody. You have to know that it's possible, whether you're a creative, whether it's a black person in America, whether it's a black, black person in London, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? You have to know that it's possible. You have to see me keep winning against all odds. I'm gonna win until I die. I won't mm -hmm. lose. I can't lose because then it's like they win. They meaning the mentality, the the old guard of thought. Because we're just a thought. We're mm -hmm. just we we you know we're just we you know a hundred years in stories. So it's interesting. You <laughs> talk about you dying. I want to. There's a question that I thought was brilliant that related to that came from Ian Connor, yeah. and he said. Do you feel it's true, like all creatives die alone due to its lack of understanding? And it's interesting, it kind of relates, in some ways what you're saying, you sound super positive, but in other ways there is that sense of pessimism and people not understanding. And do you think that's true? Well, I've said a bunch of wow shit and my wife hasn't left me yet. So, so you think <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> but uh... we got a question from Kim actually. Do you want to? Yeah. She said. Yeah. But well, for Ian, it's like, you know, I think that there'll be someone who will understand, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. I, th I think there's somebody for, I don't know, maybe there isn't someone for everyone and shit, you know, it's like, I try and be overly positive. Such a positive. romantic, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Believe in soulmates. Mm -hmm. Kim asked a good question. She said, I can't think of anything profound that I don't already know about you. So here's a really simple question that I actually don't know. What would your last meal be? Oh, it would definitely be some of her home-cooked fried chicken. That's cute. That's really, really yeah. cute. <laughs> Going back to the women thing, it's a question I want to know. Would you say you're a feminist? I think I'm a humanist. 
Is that a is that a is that a party? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, come on, it's like I was raised, you know, like so many like, you know, black kids in America. I was raised, you know, majority by my mom. My my dad was uh, around, and I would see him in the summers and time but I think um, um, I think I fight for the importance of any community that is being not properly accredited mm. just period of anything yeah if anyone is just sort of just anyone and this is the thing i love like uh kind of this this statement is going to sound kind of gay but i'm just going to say <laughs> i love older white men you know like <laughs> but basically if you're not an older white man you don't run shit. you know what i mean like so it's always like gonna be a slight you know bit more of a fight you know or a lot more of a fight for anyone that isn't an older white man, you know, mm -hmm. period. And so, and I, I, I like to speak on behalf of, you know, people without a voice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that could be a creative, sometimes that could be a woman, sometimes that could be a man turning into a woman. It could mm -hmm. be like, Anything. yeah, it could... I, I, my dad, you know, five years ago would live in a homeless shelter to, uh, just counsel with, you know, ex, ex drug addicts. And, you know, he, he really cares about people. It's mm -hmm. like, soon as he went to, uh, well, I don't want to say he's living right now because he don't want extra yeah, attention. And say he, mo he moved for a reason to give her the attention. But as he got there, it's all about like, how can we improve the water here? Mm -hmm. How can we improve, you know, uh, the education system? I, I just met, you know, this, this girl. She's in this situation with her family, this and that. What can we do to improve this? Mm -hmm. That's all he cared about is caring about people. So there's something I live my life. I got to be a rock star a rapper, this, that, and then at a certain point, it's that, that moment where you just look at and you just see people dying and being on top of their roof and you just look at the camera and you just say, George Bush doesn't care about, you know, you yeah. just, and that's like my dad and that's my mom, you know, inside of me. Like I'll go to a football game and I'll be looking at the game and I'll watch the score and then I look at the human score, meaning like the 50,000 people there and start to zone in and think like, where did, where did this person come from? What did mm -hmm. they go through? They parked here. They went, what type of job they have? What brought us all here today? What are their interests? It's like sometimes I just really, that part of my dad comes out of me that starts to get really intrigued mm -hmm. with who, who people are. So even when I, when I design, you know, I, I, I am going to make the apple of clothing. I, would, I think it's a purpose of saying you want to do it because affirming it, you know, it's obvious I want to also, but want is like this like little politically correct way to word your future accomplishments. You're going to do it. Yeah, like this, this one guy was like super snobby with me at a, uh, at a fashion dinner, of course. And I explained to him that there was a time 
what people said I couldn't rap. And, and he asked me, oh, so is this what you hope to do in clothing? And I was like, I don't hope, I, I execute. Mm. <laughs> it's like with the little backhand and smack and shit you hope. So, uh, so as far as apparel goes, I will make of apparel. And Apple Apparel isn't a high street. It isn't fast fashion. It isn't a $9,000 sweatshirt. It's the thing that you want to keep for the rest of your life. And that takes um, just looking at human beings. Sometimes you present things, people don't even know that they want it yet. Mm -hmm. People don't know. Like if you, I could show you two photographs. I'll show you a really well-known designer that's out of the highest respect at this, blah, 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 blah that I like pulled as a um, as a reference to proportion because they had like this kind of like silk jacket, almost looked like the lining fabric or something. This lining fabric rolled up, had, uh, if I describe it too well, they'll know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I want to say the person's name, but it, it had like denim on denim and like a sock on the shoe and different things like that. It was after I did my sock shoe and it wasn't Belmont either. So, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, uh, uh, it, uh, it was, um, it was, uh, and it used, um, it's like blue jeans and this and that. And then I had one of the photo that I had just done and the guy had like an olive jacket on cotton, on cotton self line, a tank top that I can't even, the, the, the color describe it, but it was somewhere almost an orange, but really like subtle between like a brown and orange and the, the shorts were like some beautiful, like light brown with a bit of gray in it and the the, the guy was uh black that the clothes were mm -hmm. on and everyone who i show those two images together now the one image you even know who the designer is and it is top five designers in the game and you mm -hmm. see this image right here and i'm like between and people always pick this one because mm -hmm. of the colors and people don't even understand how important color is yeah. as an opinion in clothing you know give a fuck if I got any of the cuts on the last collection, anyone who doesn't say, but I had an emotional connection uh, uh, to this, they don't, e to, to the color palette, they don't even know how to see anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what they're looking at. They're just, they see clothes and they're looking at numbers. Mm -hmm. They're looking at, you know, they're not looking, they're not feeling emotion. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're thinking about trend. They're not seeing future. They're not seeing luxury. They're not, they're not seeing time of like, oh shit, I want to go to the park with my family. I'm just throw this on. They're not thinking about it like that. That's what I want to do is present something that gives people some of their time because it works together like Legos, and you just you just throw it on. And I'm not saying that I like mastered it by season two for Christ's sake. You know, you know, you didn't. Hit, Still learning. Yeah, you didn't hit watch the throne of dark fantasy like on my second mixtape and shit. Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, it the theory is is there, and only I can do it. Only I care about it that much. Only I have the exact two and three code in my head. Meaning, like I could say it out loud. I could say, "Oh, this army surplus." But look at how far we jump from army surplus in mm -hmm. the second. So just think about where we'll be by season three. Yeah, look at how far we jump. Because I have the code in my head. You have to cut open my head and take my brain and put it on top of some big organization. <laughs> and you can't. It's like completely, you know, that sweatshirt, that t-shirt decision I'm making. 
piece of my mom uh, having me at Operation Push, you know, at age five. It's a piece of my dad going to the homeless shelter. It's a piece of, you know, my uh, grandfather uh, having a store where he fixed furniture in the back. It's a piece of my cousin, you know, bootleg and cross colors out in LA. It's a piece of, you know, my aunt that was the chicest woman that I knew, even when she had Alzheimer's, she still dressed better than the entire family. And I remember the colors that she had and they remind me of the colors that we were able to find. We were able to start to find and this concept by the second season mm -hmm. without being held back by, you know, the fabrics that were available. So you have to do all black and this and that. They only have a navy, blah, blah. Like, uh, I don't use blue, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like, it bugs me out. Like even I yeah, sometimes Kim still. Jones, I should ask you about the color blue, Kim Jones from Louis Vuitton. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Hate it. Yeah, I hate the color blue. When I, you know, on this, on this collection, Catherine Hamnett was like emailing me about how I had to have blue jeans and I had to need to have a white shirt and this and that and blah, blah. And I was like, I, I guess, you know, I do, I could see how, uh, but like I said, I like to make it hard for myself by just doing what I want to do. I want to pick up on that and I'm yeah. conscious of your time. So this yeah. is the last question. You yeah. say you like to make things hard for yourself yeah. and you're so driven. I can see that. And you're so passionate. And this is the last question that comes from me. You're obviously and you're driven. Are you happy? So, 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 so happy. And I'm happy for the normal reasons to be happy because I married the woman of my dreams and I have a beautiful daughter and a, uh, uh, so many beautiful um, people around me and my my cousins and families in different states and so many loving people i have a, a son on the way and you know i have you know a lot of life ahead of me and i have the opportunity to be completely rogue you know be able to support myself being who i am exactly and now i've even opened up a whole new place to create by being able to do apparel and then going in and doing film and being able to take those horses that at one point were pulling in all these different directions and pulling my arms out of my pocket and re-aim them in one direction and have the most powerful, you know, four horses like running <laughs> towards you, that tsunami about to hit, that earthquake about to, you know, about to come in. You know, it's some people who don't, who might not see it and for the people who don't see it and don't understand you know what's about to happen you know certain people aren't visionary certain people aren't early adopters certain people are just followers so i take it that the most negative reaction are from the followers kenny thank you it's All a right. pleasure